afternoon. Um, we welcome you to another Bible study. We thank God for all of those who are joining us and welcome you to what we call um, TNT. And uh, this is our Thursday teaching as far as Bible study at St. Paul Church. Um, usually I will be uh, at the church. However, today is Lady Pierre and my 15th wedding anniversary. Yay. We thank God that the Lord has allowed for us to see 15 years. And so um, uh, I'm looking forward to um, taking her out uh, for uh, something to eat and just reminiscing as far as these 15 years are concerned. Of course, in today's age and culture, anybody that is able to stay together uh, a year or two years or five years, or as I've seen some couples do 25, 30, and 50, certainly God is to be praised. For those that don't know, um, uh, this is um, me and Pierre's second marriage. And so God has really graced us as far as uh, this wonderful opportunity is concerned. So uh, it's something that uh, I don't take lightly. And um, more than honored to be doing life with her. Of course, our greatest joy has been our daughter, Cheris. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's good. It is it's good. So um, thanks. I see all the well wishes that are coming across as far as uh, our anniversary celebration. And for that, I, I thank each and every one of you for your sharing. What I want to do is to finish up uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and this will finish the writings of um, uh, Peter to the church at Jerusalem. And so as we prepare to uh, delve into the text that is before us today, uh, it got so good last week, I couldn't even finish it up. So hopefully and prayerfully, we will be able to uh, finish it up on today. So I want to call your attention to First uh, Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 8. And I believe that we had done some good dig work as far as um, exegetical is concerned. And what I want to do is I want to reread it for our hearing and then let's um, digest it and... Um, deal with it. Starting at verse eight, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, but made a grace, but made a God of all grace who called us by his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then at verse 12, by Savanius, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's pick up at verse eight. Let's pick up at verse eight and let's um, look at really um, uh, dealing with this. Peter is writing again to the Christians at Jerusalem and is really trying to encourage them um, because he wants them to understand that as they go through the various aspects of 
persecution as they are being ridiculed because of their faith in Jesus Christ, um, that they're going to have to be rather resistant. And that resistance uh, comes in a variety of forms and fashions. So when we see where Peter is talking about be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, uh, this is something that I, I, I want to really hammer home as far as to those that are watching us right now. The devil is real. Uh, I don't believe in him, but he is real. And the devil is not some red figured horn with a pitchfork in a hand and a pointed tail. Um, the, the, the devil is real. Um, it is a spirit. It is demonic. And it causes us to stray from the purpose that God has for our lives and from the will that God wants us to execute as far as our lives are concerned. Now, remember last week I talked about how you and I are called to cast our care on the Lord because he cares for us. Our being able to cast our cares upon the Lord means we have to humble ourselves before our God. It is in that casting of our cares on the Lord that through humility, we are then empowered to be able to resist the enemy. Here's what I want to in, in impress upon you. It is hard for you to resist the enemy if you have no self-control. So notice what Peter says. He says, be sober. That's a fancy word for having control. Be vigilant. That's us being alert, being watchful. And we got to understand that the enemy is very, very shrewd. The enemy brings us little aspects of truth, drops it on our lap, make it look good, we bite of the forbidden fruit, and the next thing you know, the enemy has us. This is why it's so important for us to, number one, know who God is for ourselves. And number two, know what the word of God has to say as far as our reality is concerned. So let's really deal with this particular text, verse eight, with some in-depth. Be sober, have self-control. And it's kind of hard for us to have self-control when we're not humble or when we allow for other things to control us. Now, let me, let me drop this on, on you just for a moment because we can allow for outside influences to control us. Alcohol, drugs, um, those particular things can cause us to not be in control. And when we engage in those particular uh, things and we lose control of ourselves, uh, unfortunately, we act out of sort. Therefore, we got to be very vigilant, uh, very watchful, because the enemy knows how to get us out of kilter. Okay, so let, let me unpack this in a very practical way. Really, what Peter is trying to drop on us is he's saying, don't be lazy when it comes to exercising your faith. Uh, don't be cavalier. Uh, you got to be on point. In other words, we got to maintain a sense of discipline and we got to be steadfast. Um, uh, the enemy is seeking who he can tear up. That's what that word devour means. It literally means to tear apart, to eat up. The enemy wants to annihilate us. 
if you don't get anything else out of what I'm dropping on you right now, I want you to know, and I want you to hear me and hear me well, Satan is not a friend of yours. Okay? The devil is not in the business of trying to bless anybody. <laughs> the, the devil does not bring any good things to you. Whatever the enemy brings to you, it is a curse. It is deceitful. It looks good, but it means you no good. And so that's why you got to really have some self-control and you got to be watchful because this is what the enemy will, will do to all of us. The enemy main purpose is to accuse us before God and be right in his accusation. All right. Let me say that again. The enemy wants to accuse us before God and be right in this accusation. One of the the situations that come to my mind is in the book of Job, in Job chapter one, when uh, the sons of God were having a meeting, according to Job, and Satan shows up in the meeting. And when Satan shows up in the meeting, God asks him, you know, Satan, what you've been doing? God says, I've been going to and fro, among the earth, seeking who I may devour. And then God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, oh, yeah, I have, but uh, you have a hedge of protection around him, and he only serves you because you're blessing him. You're keeping him. If you were to remove the hedge, he would curse you to your face. And God basically says, all right, I'm going to remove the hedge. You can take and touch anything that he has except for his soul. The enemy goes before God for all of us who stand vigilant and accuses us. And he wants to be found uh, accurate in his accusation. All right. He wants to be found accurate in his accusation. Now, notice the imagery that Peter uses when he talks about how the adversary looks, he says, your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus is also referred to as the lion of Judah. All right. So in this sense, what you must understand is that a roaring lion looking for someone to devour is that that lion is looking for someone who is sick or someone who is young or someone who is struggling. They choose victims who are not alert or alone. And, and, and they, if you know anything about a lion, they, 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 they hide out in the bushes and they are very quiet, very light on their feet. And then just when you aren't looking, they pounce on you and they use fear to catch you. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of one of my favorite movies, The Lion King. Scar is like the devil, (laughs) a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Um, Mufasa and after Mufasa, Simba is sort of resemblance of like God, the father and God, the son. Uh, And they handle and eventually take care of Scar. So the issue is not uh, the image of the lion. The issue is, do you have a roaring, devouring lion Or do you have a saving, fighting lion on your behalf? Got to know which lion you are lined up with. So Peter is warning those of us who are believers, watch out for the enemy, especially in times of suffering, especially in times of persecution, because he's trying to figure out whom him and his demons can attack. 
Now, this is how the enemy works. And, 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 and I want to give you this for, for, for free. Because when we as believers feel alone or weak or helpless or cut off from other believers, we can become so focused on ourselves, on our troubles, that we forget to be watchful for danger. Um, and, and, and this has been very, very apparent during this pandemic. Because we have not, as people of God, been able to come together in physical form. A lot of things we've had to do from a technological perspective. So for some, the enemy may wind up trying to attack our faith, telling us that because we can't come together as people of God, that God does not love us and that whatever we're going through, we're going through by ourselves. So we got to be very, very careful. Um, I had a wonderful Kaya come as you are session with our young adults last week. And one of the questions that came up to me was uh, that some young adults feel like that they are losing their faith or getting weak during this pandemic by virtue of the fact that they have not been able to come together in the manner and the way that they want to come together. And that's how the enemy basically messes us up. The enemy knows how to play with our minds and knows how to get at our spirit to make us think that, hey, you're all by yourself. But I'm here to let you know that's so far from the truth. So watch how Satan works today. He attacks the sick, the weak, and the isolated. So you and I got to be alert, and we got to support one another with prayer, checking in on each other. Um, Those who are feeling ill, we got to give them a call, let them know we're praying for them. Those who are weakened with pressure and stress, uh, those who feel like they're on the fringes, we got to remind them, hey, you're not going through what you're going through by yourself. He attacks newborns, uh, especially newborn Christians, those that are new to the faith. He, lets, he, he fills their mind with doubt and temptation that make them think they're not really saved. He attacks those that pull away from the church. You know, He go after those that um, when they've been participating in church and now all of a sudden they stop. They are especially vulnerable and he will come at them with false teachings and heresy. He attacks those that are unwary. And, and this is why teaching and preaching about Satan's strategies are so important. If you're not grounded in your faith, if you don't know why you do what you do, if you don't know what you believe, the enemy could come and get you. And he attacks using fear. He attacks using fear. Uh, The climate of today, economically, socially, politically, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic makes a lot of people afraid. I said last night in our prayer call that the thing you fear the most is where you trust God the least. Let me say that again. The thing you fear the most is where you trust God the least. Interestingly, if I have some people who... um, in a very uh, joking or maybe cynical way said, you know, I fear spiders or stuff like that. And and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm I'm talking about anxiety and worry and things of that sort. Uh, The thing you fear the most is where you trust God the least. So in this particular context from a historical perspective, and I'm still on verse eight, Um, This can also be Peter giving a signal to those who are afraid of Nero, who was the emperor of Rome at that particular time. And if you know anything historical about Nero, he was one of the most demonic, despotic emperors in all of Roman's history. It was alleged that he used to use Christians and have them set on fire and allow for their bodies to burn as torches in the night. And so um, for Peter, he can also be sending a signal to uh, those who were uh, under the oppression of Nero 
because it was also understood that Nero would throw Christians to the lions. So one thing that we have to understand is that when it comes to us being vigilant as far as our walk with God, uh, we got to understand that, that we can also be persecuted politically as well. Now notice what, notice what um, uh, Peter says in the next verse. He says, resist him. Resist him. Resist him. This is the shout for me. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter is saying, you're not going through this by yourselves. You're not the only ones suffering. That there are men and women all across this globe. And at that particular time, because their worldview was rather restricted, they did not know about North America or South America. Uh, they knew about Asia and their scope as far as the world is concerned was very limited because for them, the center of the world at that time was the Roman Empire. And so when they're saying resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, it, it is not the world as we know it today. Okay. It was a limited scope of what the world was then. Now, Let's take that phrase and let's lay it over where we are today, because we can say that now that we know how big and how grand the earth is, we also know that there are men and women in various parts of the world who are experiencing suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here in America, um, we experience inconvenience. But there are men and women across the width and breadth of this globe who are experiencing sufferings and persecution. China, North Korea, Iraq, Syria, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, Russia. Um, in those various parts, certain parts of Africa, in those various parts of the globe, there are people who are catching grief because of their express faith in Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that when the enemy comes your way, resist. That is active. This is not passive. Resist. Remain steadfast in your faith, knowing that same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, what we got to understand is that... Um, when you know who the enemy is <laughs> and you understand how he operates, you can resist. Now, one of, the, one of the things I want to drop on you is that from a biblical spiritual perspective, you got to understand that Satan, and there are various names for Satan, Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, Lucifer, um, was the leader of angelic beings in heaven. He was considered to be the, 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 the angel of worship. And he revolted against God. And he took one third of those angels with him. And according to the Bible, the one third of the angels who fell with Lucifer became demons. They were banished from heaven. And so now... Satan's primary purpose is to keep us separated from God. He, he's already, he already knows his end. There is no reconciliation, no sense of repentance for the devil. He, his end is already defined. He is destined for destruction. And he wants to create as much havoc with us as human beings as possible. And so the enemy knows that if he can come at us, sometimes using our own tools against us. He has them. That's why you got to resist them. And, and, and one of the best ways that I want to drop on you in, in knowing how to resist them is to look at the example of Jesus. If you remember the story of Jesus, that when Jesus was being tempted by the enemy in the desert, uh, after having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan shows up. 
goes through three temptations. And Satan quotes the word of God either out of context or he gives just a little bit to make it sound like truth. And Jesus, being the very word of God, the logos of God, comes back with him as far as the scriptures are concerned, properly in context. Ooh, let me bless you real quick. This is why it is so important for you to know the word of God for yourself. This is why I, as your pastor, take the word of God so seriously and want to teach it to you so that when the enemy comes your way, that you will know how to stand. This is why you got to have the word of God in your head as well as in your heart. I would dare say that when Jesus was coming back at Satan with the word, he didn't have a Bible in front of him. He didn't have uh, an iPhone or an iPad or Samsung Galaxy uh, or a Samsung phone or some hardcover Bible with him. No, he knew that word of God because he had what? Deposited within his spirit already. So whenever the enemy came his way and said, the word of God says so-and-so, Jesus shot back. Yeah, but the word of God also says, da, 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 da. So you got to have the word of God in your heart. Because here's what, steadfast in faith, and this is what I want you to understand, being steadfast in your faith, you got to have something to be steadfast in, standing firm in your faith. And for you and I, the standing firm in our faith is predicated upon us, having the word of God operating in our lives, also knowing that whatever we're going through, we're not going through by ourselves. We got other people who understand exactly where we are. We got other people who are linked with us. And guess what? Peter reminds us, if you resist him, don't being steadfast, you'll be all right. One of the best ones uh, that, that that blesses me is, I believe, when James says uh, that if we resist the devil, uh, he will flee. Resist. In other words, say no. So now I'm not flowing with that. Resist. That's resist. He ain't got to fight. Just resist. He's already defeated. Just resist. Now. Resistance is hard. Um, <laughs> resistance can be hard when you want to do what the enemy brings your way. Resistance can be hard when you're prone to fall prey to the temptations that the enemy throws out before you. That's why you got to have the word that will help you to be able to resist. And then as we go to verse 10, we see that Peter is encouraging us to endure suffering in such a way that the grace of God becomes very apparent. Because when people see us operating in the midst of suffering, they will want to know, how is it? that you're able to do what you do? How is it that you're able to endure the craziness, the madness that comes your way? The phrase that blesses me in verse 10 is, after you have suffered a while. Mm. That's a shout for me right there. In other words, it's like the saints of old said, trouble don't last always. Let me say that again. Trouble don't last always. You know, we like to say we may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Trouble doesn't last always. However, you got to get through the trouble. You got to endure. You got to resist to get to the other side of through. So as you and I uh, take as far as this 
word of God is concerned, it is very apparent that uh, Peter is saying, listen, when you hang in there, when you resist the enemy, when you're able to endure suffering, the grace of God, the power of God, the strength of God becomes so apparent that people will start looking at you and going like, "Mm, there's something weird about you. See, here's the thing about suffering. When we're suffering, we feel as if our pain will never end. But I want you to know that one day it will. One day it will. And it can end either in this life or it can end as far as us making the transition to life eternal. There, There are some who are delivered from suffering in this life. And you're able to be a walking testimony. There are others who are released from their suffering through death. But all of us will be assured that in eternal life, there is no suffering. There is no suffering. That's what Revelation 21.4 talks about when John writes, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things are gone. Now, I know some of us are saying, I don't want to have to die in order to get away from suffering. Well, you're not the sovereign God. God knows how God is trying to conform you to the image of God's son. So notice how Peter describes him. He says, the God of all grace God gives you and me the grace for every situation that we face. If you don't believe me, remember when Paul went to God with the thorn of flesh. And with his thorn in the flesh, he went to God three times asking to be delivered. And he heard the voice of Jesus say so clearly to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness, my strength is perfected. Now, notice that there are four things in verse 10 that according to Peter, after you have suffered a while, this is going to happen. You're going to be perfected. You're going to be established. You're going to be strengthened. And you're going to be sellable. All right. You're going to be perfected. You're going to be established. You're going to be strengthened. And you're going to be sellable. Okay. Now, when we look at these particular words, um, perfect, established, strengthened, sellable. What we have to understand is that as we look at these particular words, that God, even in the midst of our suffering, is doing some amazing things in us and through us. Okay? Um, And this is where, for me, the sovereignty and the power of God is made so apparent. So, What I want to drill home to us, I want to drill home to us that not only do we know that God cares for us and not only will God give us grace, but God has promised to perfect us. That means set right what has gone wrong. God is, is setting right what has gone wrong. Establish us. That that means that God is supporting us by correction and by guiding us. So not only are we experiencing a sense of restoration and we're experiencing a sense of support, but then God will strengthen us. Basically meaning that God will infuse us with spiritual knowledge and power, okay? 
So, so we're getting strength through spiritual knowledge and power. And where does that strength come from? The word of God, the, the word of God. God will give you the courage no matter what happens. And then God will establish us. That, that, that means that God will firm us up, that God will provide a foundation for us that will basically be unmovable. We, we, we would be like um, that house that was built upon the rock. And when the rains come and when the floods come and when the winds blew and beat upon that house, it did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. That's why we love to sing that hymn on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. So, so, so in life, and when we die, the purposes of God are going to be, be brought to bear. And they will be fulfilled. God is going to do what God has promised to do as far as our lives are concerned. Okay? So if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. That as believers... Our suffering does not last forever. If you're under stress, if your if food is scarce, if you're going through health concerns, if you're dealing with depression, uh, if you're dealing with sickness, uh, it's not going to last always. No matter what trouble you're facing. God has already placed on your psyche Temporarily out of order. You're temporarily out of order. Whatever is going wrong, it's temporarily out of order. Because one day, the great repairman, God himself, will take the evil out of your life and out of our reality. And God will restore us back to original condition. That's why our hope is in him. That's how God perfects, establishes, strengthens, and settles us. And then he seals it with verse 11. When he talks about to him, who's that him? God. (laughs) To him be the power. To him be the glory dominion forever and ever. Peter is praising Christ who has power for all time. Um, He is attributing this power of God to remind us that God's already got it under control. God has the power, again, the context, persecution, God has the power to strengthen God's very own even as they go through persecution, even as they go through suffering, that the very glory of God becomes apparent in our lives as we handle and demonstrate the grace of God in whatever we're going through. And then as we look at Peter closing things out, um, and he does this just like Paul, whenever he would close out his letters, he would say, hey, I want you to tell so-and-so, so-and-so, hey, um, I send greetings to so-and-so, so-and-so. So in verse 12, when we see this word Sylvanius, Sylvanius is that famous um, person in the book of Acts known as Silas. You remember in Acts chapter 16 where we hear about Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? That's that's this Silas. Uh, Silas used to be, uh, used to roll with Paul and uh, he served as a secretary to Peter. He, he was um, one of the men chosen to deliver the letter from the Jerusalem council to the church in Antioch. 
Uh, he was the one that accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey. He's mentioned by Paul in uh, the letters to the church at Thessalonica. So we see here in verse 12 that Silas is a very faithful brother as far as carrying out the work of the gospel. And, and, and Peter is saying that the reason I am writing this letter to you is to encourage you and to testify about the awesomeness of the grace of God in which all of us have to depend upon. In other words, there is no doubt that God's grace is going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Let me kind of drill down just for a moment. I'm getting ready to wrap up. Because I want you to know that as you and I engage in our walk with God through Christ, sometimes, like those people back during that time, we experience fear and doubt. Uh, we wonder if the, the, the being a disciple of Jesus is really worth it, given the trouble that we face. I know I do. And when, and when you listen to the skeptics and to people who doubt God, sometimes you wonder, are they right? Are they on to something? And, 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 and when you go through suffering and when you go through oppression and persecution, um, this is what you got to remember. Everybody asks questions, including when it comes to our faith. We're not robots. Questions are normal. Ain't nothing wrong with you asking a question. Because when you raise questions about what is true and what is isn't, God will give you the ability in the raising of your question to reflect on truth, to probe for that truth. And, and, and God knows how to meet each and every one of us where we are. Here's what I want to impress upon you. God is not int intimidated by your questions. God doesn't reject your questions. G God doesn't become less of God because of your questions. It, it, I want you to understand, you know, we, we have been erroneously taught, you should never question God. That, that's not true. A God that's not big enough to handle your question ain't big enough to be your God. Let me say that again. A God that's not big enough to handle your question ain't big enough to be your God. Now, I know I may be using bad English, but it's good theology. <laughs> okay? So, 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 so don't become afraid. And as your pastor, I want you to know that whenever you ask questions, you know, it's part of you wrestling with God. I'm not intimidated whenever I hear someone ask God a question. Or you raise a question, you know, God ain't intimidated by that. Because coming to the aspect of truth is the character of God. But in order to, re to wrestle with that question and to come to truth, you got to know the word of God from, for yourself. Because truth comes out of the word of God. And it can penetrate our whole soul, our flesh and our spirit. It, it can uh, recalibrate our mind. It can balance our emotions. So God doesn't mind the exploration and God doesn't mind you uh, wrestling. Take your questions to God and, and you can find the grace of God in that. You do like Job. You do like Job. Job questioned God. Job had a whole bunch of questions. When you look at Job, from chapter 3 through chapter 38, Job is raising a whole bunch of questions, and he gets no response from God until chapter 38. And when God responds, when God speaks, the interesting thing is that God does not answer any of Job's question. God just responds. Hmm. And sometimes what we need is God to just respond. Let me go ahead and wrap up because I only got uh, a few minutes. Looking at verse, th verse 13, we see she who is in Babylon um, um, 
she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. She who is in Babylon. Uh, most biblical scholars think that Peter is using Babylon as a metaphor for the Roman Empire because he's writing this letter to the church at Jerusalem. And just in case it gets intercepted, this is the code language. So, 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 so Peter is kind of doing code switching right now. So when he sends greetings from the church in quote Babylon, he was at Rome during that time. So he is using the term Babylon to be a reference to Rome. Okay. So he's kind of throwing shade at Rome, really calling them Babylon, because we do know that ultimately Babylon falls. He also greets Mark. Uh, he calls uh, Mark his son. Now, this is the Mark who is considered to be the writer of the gospel of Mark, which is considered to be the oldest gospel. Okay. Um, and then in verse 14, he talks about how we ought to greet one another with a kiss. Uh, uh, and that kiss is how really back during that time, people in uh, what we call now uh, the Middle East greet each other um, with, with a brotherly slash sisterly kiss. It was a common sign of fellowship and Christian love back then. Now we ain't trying to do all that in today's culture, <laughs> especially with COVID-19. But back then, that's how they uh, greeted one another. And it was nothing sexual. It was uh, the kiss of peace. It was a sign of, of peace. Um, so um, this is where I, I want to um, end our lesson as far as uh, this, this sharing is concerned. I pray that our time together in studying uh, First Peter has been uh, a blessing to you um, as far as this gathering is concerned. And as we prepare to uh, close out um, this time of study, just want to let you know that all of us uh, at this particular moment have been beneficiaries of God's grace. I know I have. And as I prepare to close out this moment, just want to encourage you that if St. Paul has been a blessing to you, uh, I want to encourage you to, uh, if you can, to give. We don't take this moment for granted, and I extend to you this wonderful opportunity to be a blessing to St. Paul. There, there are three ways that you can give. We continue to do the work of, of the church, the work of ministry. And as a matter of fact, we're getting ready to do um, some major repair work around the old sanctuary. Um, for those that don't know the old sanctuary, when we get a real hard rain, it floods. And we're getting ready to do um, some major, major work, major expensive work, as far as um, ensuring that we don't have those issues in the future. So um, within the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be doing some major excavation, digging up, putting down some membrane um, so that we won't have those issues as far as flooding is concerned in the basement. Um, uh, and it's going to be very expensive. It's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars to do that, but it's been needing to be done. Your giving, your support helps us as far as that endeavor is concerned. Uh, we're going to work on fixing and repairing the steps in front of the old sanctuary. And then also we're looking at replacing all the doors uh, as far as the church is concerned, because there are gaps in those doors. And so um, we got to take care of the Lord's house. And we cannot go to these vendors and say, hey, we love God. Ring it up. Jesus paid it all. It doesn't quite work like that. But your giving 
supports our community as far as feeding the hungry and uh, being a blessing to those who are less fortunate. But it also helps us to care for the house of the Lord. And so as you give, you can mail your check of money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte 28205. Or you can go online to our website and give through ACS or Church Life. Um, or you can drop your check money order or cash off at the church. Just call the church. Make sure that someone is there to receive your offering at 704-334-5309 or you can give through Givelify. You can give through Givelify and download that app from your app store connected to your favorite credit card. And in three clicks, boom, you can give. I'm so appreciative of all that the disciples and our friends do to support us as far as the work of the Lord is concerned. And I wanted to encourage you right now, however you choose to, to give and to help us to continue the ongoing work, you can do that right now. Well, thank you all for um, your time. Uh, I'm getting ready to um, uh, depart as far as uh, our time of, of, of study is concerned. And I pray that you all have been blessed by this word. Again, thank you all so much for the well wishes for uh, me and Pierre's anniversary. And um, we got 15 years in. Uh, I'm looking forward to another 15, which give us 30. And uh, these years go by real, real fast. So God bless you all. Uh, heaven smile upon you. Take care of yourself. Be safe. And um, I love you all. God loves you even more. Blessings and peace.